0: Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience powered by Gasoline Alley. Today's guest is professional speedway racer, Zane Gelleher. Welcome, mate. Thanks, Nick. It's great to be here. Mate, um, what a journey, hey? Yeah, it's crazy. So uh, basically what's happened is uh, Zane reached out to me in uh, a little bit earlier this year, you've been in the United Kingdom, and uh, to go and race a speedway season and a speedway season basically got put on hold. So that's a bit of a uh, debrief. Who's Zane?
1: Uh, good question. Um, first and foremost, I guess I'm an adrenaline addict, uh, lover of all things two wheels with a set of handlebars. Um, so motorbikes, mountain bikes, you name it, gets me excited. Um, I raced motocross for 15 years and raced MX Nationals from 2011 to 2015 here in Australia. Yep. Uh, I'm also a qualified fitter and turner in engineering. And five years ago, I made the jump Crazy move uh, over to Speedway and basically haven't looked back, and uh, it's been a crazy journey ever since. And um, yeah, this year I was really stoked to start my professional career.
0: And um, it, what made you made the jump into Speedway five years ago? It's a it's a it's a consi- like considerable jump.
1: Yeah, it was crazy at the time because there's no comparisons between motocross and Speedway. Um, but basically, I'd sort of been racing MX nationals for five years sort of plateaued, hadn't really, hadn't really taken it to that next step where I wanted to. Um, obviously, it's pretty hard to be a professional and earn a living from motocross in Australia or even overseas. Um, so I was sort of floating around that top 20, top 15 in Australia kind of level. And Speedway had always been big in my hometown of Rockhampton, um, but for about 11 years, there wasn't any Speedway at all. And then in July 2015, a private promoter decided to bring it back and Jason Crump was the headline for that event and that was his first event out of retirement. Um, So that was amazing. They got together a really strong lineup and um, I was actually a starting marshal for that event on the infield. So I just soaked it up, got the methanol in my veins and uh, two months later I bought two bikes and uh, a couple of weeks after that I had my first race and um, the rest is history.
0: Why, why did I remember that meeting in 2015? Why did it take so long for Rocky? Was it was there a reason, or what was it? Do you know,
1: um, it's hard to say really, but I guess the main thing was the the cars and the Saloon Car Club had basically taken over, and right. it was hard to hard to race on the same night because the bikes and cars preferred different tracks. Yeah. Um, so that was the main reason, and then I think within Australia, Speedway sort of died off around that same time as well. So there was less riders. Um, like less supporters, less sponsors. Um, so it was a bit of a tough time for Speedway Australia-wide. And I
0: think a lot, I saw that 2015 year, a lot of our riders had become expats at that time too, hey? Like a, a lot of the funnel of good riders had drained out. Yeah. So a lot of riders had obviously been over in, in the UK, um, the different elite leagues around as well. So I guess that's sort of part of it too, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, but from 2015, I think it's really um, grown and it's healthy, become eh? a lot stronger. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of guys from Australia overseas um, racing speedway professionally and there's a good crop of young juniors coming through as well
0: yeah definitely and we, we uh, do you know Keenan Roo
1: yeah I know Keenan
0: so the club that we've been racing the flat, the Harley flat track is that is, um, is his dad runs it Dwayne yep, yep. and the the support that you see that for that one club let alone all the others around the country is huge yeah and, and they're, they're there 24 7 if they could be to yeah. put time in so it's pretty cool to see
1: for sure um Duane's putting a big effort in with the juniors yep. and the junior bikes and definitely um, yeah, that's that definitely um that's that's where the future champions are and you've got to reinvest back into the juniors and where do you see like currently like for me i see australians going really well around the world
0: um do you just see that continually improving because we're doing that
1: yeah i think so we've we've obviously had a long history of successful yep. riders um I, I think being, from being in the UK this year and, and seeing the different lifestyles, I think I can understand and appreciate that a bit more now. Um, we've got such a good upbringing here in Australia with wide open spaces and you can ride your motorbike every afternoon, every weekend. Um, so I think that's part of why we have such talented riders. It is hard, though, because uh, we move 16,000 kilometres to the other side of the world, yeah. literally the opposite end. Um, no family, no friends, uh, cold... <laughs> rain <laughs> um, so it is it is hard and full credit to anyone that um, has been successful from Australia
0: total opposite to Australian
1: lifestyle yeah completely everything different.
0: Yep. tell me about the visa process what is it now for a racer isn't it is it top four in a state or top three in a state is yeah. that how it works now
1: so it's top four in a state title in mm. Australia here um, so my journey for that um, will go back to say 2018 and that's that's when I really I always worked hard but 2018 was when I really knuckled down and um made this a priority to make this a career and i got jason crump on board and we were coaching he was coaching me um every couple of weeks so i'd i'd fly him up we'd spend the, like three days friday saturday sunday working together and and really going hard and um he taught me a lot and really really thankful for his input um so i had a really good 2018 uh there was a period there where my worst result was a second place wow. so i was yeah, I was going really well and um, I qualified for my first visa at the 2018 Queensland Championships mm-hmm. and I got a third place there. So I was already on a roll and I thought, right, oh 2019, I'm going to get a contract. I got my visa, ready to go. Uh, that didn't quite happen for 2019 so I was left here in Australia basically waiting for a ride in the UK and I, again, I had another strong season, just kept building and plugging away and I moved to Mildura in about October 2019 uh, because there's a lot more racing going on down in Victoria, South Australia. Yep. Um, so I moved down there for about two months to chase the racing. Again, had a, had a pretty solid season down there. They brought over about five Brits to um, challenge us as well. Um, so that was really good. And I ended up placing um, second in the Vic title mm-hmm. and second in the South Australian title. So I've now got three visas up my sleeve just waiting for a contract seriously yeah so then it was a long negotiating and waiting game um to get that contract for 2020. Yeah. so basically the process is you're qualified you've got your top four in your state then the next step is getting a contract um, because it's so hard and finding a space on a team can be difficult because those teams want to build their teams with the best riders possible mm. so there's a lot of negotiating back and forward with um, two particular clubs in the uk and I was confident I was going to have something for 2020, but um, yeah, we didn't actually find out until late January that it was going to be said and done, and I'd be on my way with the Pool Pirates for 2020.
0: And mate, what a club to sign with!
1: Oh, like you've gone into the club. Yeah, couldn't ask for a better club. Yeah, how was it? Like,
0: we'll go through it in detail too, because you've had quite a quite a year. You didn't obviously get to race, but
1: um, how was it just getting into pool? Yeah, awesome. Um, Obviously, every experience was new for me. I'd been to the UK previously for a holiday, um, but as far as racing and being a part of the team and and everything like that, it was all new as well. So uh, I'm really lucky, I think, to be with the Poole Pirates. They are the most renowned club, basically, in the world. Um, They've always backed the Aussies. They've won so many league titles in the last 20 years since Matt Ford's taken over. Um, Really prestigious, great group of sponsors, uh, great group of people behind the club and we've got a really solid team as well so can't ask for much more
0: well yeah as soon as i heard and seen i was like wow that's that's a landing yeah. as your first place you, you really um whether it's luck or you obviously worked very hard for it it's a pretty cool landing to get into pool pirates
1: yeah for sure and Pool and bournemouth area in the dorset yep. area in the uk is uh one of the nicest areas in the uk and the warmest and the nice beaches so uh, aussies always love that up you've got to be there yeah.
0: <laughs> where they put you up What happens? Where did you stay? Did you stay at someone's house from the team or?
1: Yeah, so um, I elected uh, for the team to outsource or basically put out expressions of interest um, for me to occupy a room at another family's house. Yeah, because that's sort of the easiest thing to slide into uh, because you've got enough on your plate moving from one side of the world to the other. So um, I was fortunate enough to land with a family about 20 minutes north of Pearl um, Mm -hmm. in a a small village, uh, really quiet area. And that was good. I was set up there with my workshop and, um, yeah, that had everything I needed. So that worked out pretty good. And do you,
0: do you like, obviously
1: you're very handy fitting
0: machinist, but do you do your own work on the bikes, or do they have a team mechanic or what happens?
1: So you basically, as a speedway rider, you're basically self-employed. Mm. So you're responsible for everything mm. and you only get paid on your results. So yes, I do a lot of stuff myself, but you'd also employ a mechanic, um, to, Firstly, come with you to the races and mechanic uh, at the truck and then post meeting, washing the bikes and servicing them and getting ready for the next meeting as well.
0: It's a, um, it's, how do I say this? Speedway is not, not looked down upon, but it's, it's never spoken of in, in, in different things. Like you've come from racing MX nationals. You see people coming along in trucks and doing this. No one understands about speedway until you have these conversations that you're the boss. You're like you're a subcontractor to an event. That's yep. so all you are. So
1: That's it. Compared to say Formula One, MotoGP, yep. MXGP. Yep. Those guys are the top level. They've got a factory team. Yep. They turn up. Everything's done. Uh, basically, they just have to worry about driving the car or riding the bike. Yep. And S- you speedway, <laughs> <laughs> speedway is. I'm in charge of everything. I'm in charge yeah. of flights, hotels, fuel, parts, mechanics. Yeah. Um, you name it, insurance getting to the event, that's, that's up to me. So it's it's cool, but I actually like that side of it because it means you can build your own team. You can yeah. do things how you want to do it. Your bikes can be built how you want them. You can test parts that you... Any parts you want, basically. Yep. Um, so there are positives to it as well. But, yeah, I don't think Speedway riders get the credit they deserve, especially at the top level with uh, how much they do have to organise and run on their own. It's... um. It's something like I've followed the sport my whole life. I
0: love speedway. It's one of my favorite sports, motorsports. And I was with Darcy um, not long before he had his, his accident. And he, he was back in Australia. We're doing some motocross out of QMP. And he was talking about it. And I, I never knew how much detail went into it. He was the boss of people in Poland. He had a mechanic that was going here. He had bikes sitting here. Like, yeah. mate, I had no idea that all that went into it, you yeah. know. And and you can go and race the grand prix like that which is the prestigious event obviously yeah and it's the same deal like you don't get a truck there to to take your stuff you've got to drive your own van there your mechanics drive your van there yeah and then they've got to commute across to you know you'll have a saturday night race and then sunday night they could be racing in poland or sweden yeah for sure and then monday night
1: somewhere else yeah and fly back to the uk tuesday denmark wednesday sweden thursday poland friday grand prix saturday And you need to do that to earn your wage. Yeah, that's it. That's the only way you make a a living in Speedway. And um, you want to be riding as much as you can. It's huge. So tell me this. When you first went onto the bike in Rocky five years ago, did you get straight on the 500? Yeah, so... Oh, man, that's a jump. (laughs) My first first jump was at a small practice track that we had built. um, And Crumpy actually come back up to do some coaching with, say, 10... 10 of the motocross guys that wanted to jump on Speedway and have a go, basically. And, yeah, that was my first go. Um, obviously, I'd followed Speedway, so I sort of knew a little bit about what you should do and what you should look like on a bike. Yeah. And you've got no brakes, obviously. And, yeah, I'm pretty sure Compy thought, what is this guy doing? Like, he has <laughs> no chance. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, you know, guys, you're out there with your elbow up trying to put your foot forward like it's just completely different to motocross so it was a massive learning experience but um i i analyze a lot and look at what i'm doing and what i should be doing and uh, i work really hard obviously and i think um having crumpy on board as well a bit later on definitely helped and um yeah we've we've come on leaps and bounds in the last couple of years
0: when you were on the mx nationals were you on the 250 or
1: the 450 so i raced 150 in yeah. under-19s right, in the first couple of years. And then when they changed the rules to later ride the 252 stroke, yeah, I jumped straight on that. And I did one more year of under-19s in that, and then two years of MX2 on the 252 stroke.
0: Right, so you've gone from a 250 to a 500 Speedway bike.
1: Yeah, 252 stroke to a yeah. 500 four-stroke. No brakes. Yeah, no brakes. What a jump. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and to be fair, yep. I've ridden a lot of motorbikes and a lot of disciplines, Yep, and Speedway is the ultimate can't beat it. Oh, the the rush you get from that is amazing.
0: It's it's one of the, for, for me, um, I've ridden bikes since I was three years old. I got to ride a 125 Speedway bike when I was 12. Yeah. And you know how you have certain bikes that you remember just vividly? I remember this little part. That's one thing that I always, it's like the first bike I've ridden. I always remember that day that my dad took me to race a, race a bike, but the next one was racing that Speedway bike.
1: And it's like, <laughs> there's nothing like it, hey? No, <laughs> it's something else. And it's <clears throat> it's completely different to any other bike and... Oh, yeah, it's just a, just a buzz. When you, when you go flying down the back straight yep. and pass someone uh, and then you're full lock, sideways, full throttle. Don't you know, know how you just, do it. It's just unreal. <laughs> it's unreal.
0: Oh, I don't know how you do it. What's your, like, uh, you're back here now. What do you got on for this season? Like, we're about to come into a speedway season. Are you going to ride here or are you going to just – what are you planning? Can
1: you take Yeah. So uh, first confirmed race is Queensland titles, 14th yeah. of November at Bowen Showgrounds. Yeah, cool. So that's going to be cool. And the lineup for that is going to be impressive because all the boys are back home. Mm. No one's raced very much this year. Um, so everyone's going to be out there to try and take that title.
0: That'll be cool. Yeah. And then there's another event coming up. Yep. So after. then I've
1: got the Darcy Ward Invitational on the 28th of November here in North Brisbane. Mm and then we'll see what happens after that the australian championships have actually been postponed um, basically due to the situation there's a lot of guys overseas that can't get home um, plus the border closures normally we race in four states across january so they've pushed that back to later in the year um next year so i'm sure there'll be other events that pop up in january like big open events and stuff so yeah i'll be doing all those and if the borders open then i'll definitely travel back down south
0: those two that are coming up, they're so exciting. I can't wait for the, obviously, the Bowen one and then Darcy's one. That's going to be, um, yeah, 28th of November. I can't wait yeah, for
1: that. Yeah, no, it's going to be good.
0: Okay, this year, what happened?
1: Let's go into some detail. Cause, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be detailed. Yep, yeah, go for it. Right, oh, so we'll start from the start. We'll go back a little bit to where I was talking before about when I signed the contract. Yep, so that was late January. So were you still in Mildura? No, so by then, I'd moved back home. okay. So yeah. I basically did the two month stint before Christmas in Mildura mm-hmm. um, because they have so much racing down there. And then then we have the Australian titles in January, which I will mention because that's a key point. So the Pearl Pirates were gonna keep an eye on me through the Aussies to see how I went. Yeah. Um, basically that was a bit of a negotiating thing, but I thought, yeah, I've got some good results. I'm on form. I'm probably gonna have the best Australian championship that I've had um carrying some good results and feeling good so i was confident and i was confident that it work in my favor as far as negotiating uh round one curry curry bushfire season it was 49 degrees yeah and we done five heats and that event got abandoned so round,
0: 49 ambient
1: yeah on track oh no so that got um yeah that got cancelled and that event was written off, and we basically went to round two down at Albury. Uh, and Albury was due to be probably one of my best events. Um, it's a bigger, bigger style track, a bit more like the Queensland style, mm-hmm. and I was really feeling that I was going to put in a good result there. Unfortunately, in my first heat, I had Rowan Tungate, uh, Chris Holder, and Ryan Douglas, who were all on form as well, and I had a bit of a come together with Chris. Um, First lap, third corner. Got away from that, um, but unfortunately Ryan Douglas come behind me and cleaned me out, and I suffered a bad concussion. Mm -hmm. So that was round two all over, and as you know, with concussions, you can't really bounce back within two days for the next race. So that was my Australian Championship's done and dusted, and um, I was a bit worried because I thought, well, there goes my contract for 2020 potentially because... I've just crashed out and not got the results that I probably should have. So it was a stressful couple of weeks, uh, obviously a long drive home from Adelaide and not knowing if I was gonna be going to the UK, what do I do, do I keep working? And then out of the blue at the end of January, um, Matt got back in touch with me from the Poor Pirates and um, yeah, within two days we had a deal done and she was on, so. And it was a mad rush because I had to be in the UK at the start of March. So we had like five weeks to get visas, uh, flights, insurance, freight, licences, accommodation, (laughs) you name it, we had to organise it. So uh, it was a hectic couple of weeks, but um, just knuckled down and one thing at a time. And uh, the visa thing was stressful because you've got to apply for it all online and your passport and all your information has to get sent to sydney Mm -hmm. um so i can't fly while my passport's in sydney so it's just a matter of waiting waiting to get this back so i couldn't really book a flight because i didn't know when the when that passport was going to come back but in the meantime i'm organizing everything else and getting ready to go overseas like it's crazy time like you're going to live your dream and it's just all happening in these last couple of weeks but we got through that okay and Uh, then I left Australia on the 2nd of March and basically rolled into Heathrow in a pair of thongs, uh, one gear bag and two pieces of carry on.
0: How Australian. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) I just made it my mission to take the thongs and shorts as far as I could. (laughs) It was cold at Heathrow, so I had to put the jeans on pretty quick. Um, but yeah, that was it. And the the team picked me up and uh, took me back down towards the pool area and then it was a matter of cracking on and getting getting organised for the season. Yeah.
0: What date the season's supposed to start?
1: So I was due to have a couple of meetings at the end of March. Mm-hmm. I think my first one was the 25th of March, and we had a press and practice day in there as well. Yeah. Uh, and then our fixtures were due to start in April. Mm. Yep. So really I had two and a half weeks to get my bikes and everything sorted um, to go before the press day and the first meeting. So you, you don't take your bikes from Australia? So I elected to build two new bikes over there. Yep. Uh, some guys freight b- bikes back and forward but logistically and cost wise uh, I felt it was better for me to build two new ones over there. Yep. So I've got two bikes in Australia and two in the UK. Mhm. But it was a crazy couple of weeks organising everything. Um, I obviously had no phone in the UK, no bank account, um, no vehicle yet at this point. Um, so I had a pocket of cash and that was sort of keeping me going with what I had to pay for until I had bank accounts and stuff set up and uh, Dan from the team took me to the bank to get my bank account sorted out and I remember this and I'll probably remember this for the rest of my life, the lady said to me, where are you from? I'm from Australia. Sorry, where are you from? From Australia. And she asked me three times and I thought, she does not understand me. And that was my first experience with the UK, not understanding the Aussie, Aussie slang, I suppose. you in the, the mother country. Yeah, <laughs> I'm speaking English. Yeah. You, you invented it. That's right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So so this is crazy. the start. <laughs> this is the start at the bank. And yep. um, yeah, it was a crazy journey, like getting bank accounts set up, getting a phone, yep. having an address, uh, all those sort of things. So. Getting yourself a base. Yeah. Just start set, again. Setting up like moving to the other side of the world, one suitcase. Mm. Um, I sent over 10 boxes of parts and uh, like my equipment stuff, like my safety gear and uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, but that was in another location. So I still had to, I still had to get my vehicle, pick up all my parts yeah. and then build some bikes and set the van up and get ready to go. So how'd you get a van? So, uh, the club have a deal with, uh, through rent Uh, trucks up near Manchester. So I had to journey four hours, well, it'd be a four hour drive, but it was actually a six hour train ride um, up to Manchester to pick up the van. And then I worked my way back down, picked up my tools from Tang Tools, uh, then picked up all my parts from Gary Ball Racing and spent a couple of nights there building bikes and getting everything sorted out. And then eventually worked my way back down to Poole and then I could start setting up my workshop, uh, decking out the van, getting a rack made, um, yeah. That'd have been exciting. Yeah, and I'm one to be organised and I like to have everything sorted yep. out, planned. I'm not going to rock up with something half done. Um, so I was I was hustling pretty hard to get this, get everything sorted out, ready to go by the time we started mm-hmm. racing. So how'd
0: you go with your fitness at this point? Like you must have been busting from from being here to getting there. Did you just how'd how, how you keep up?
1: Yeah, well I I'm pretty lucky. I love training, so. Yep. Uh, training's always been part of my routine whether it's at the gym, mountain biking, running yep. um, so I always keep that up pretty active but um, yeah, it was, it's hard to juggle when you've got to manage all these things and there's only a certain amount of hours in the day hmm. it is hard to juggle your training and, and your food and everything um, but I do remember my first training run in the UK I just felt so stiff and I couldn't run I could could not do a push-up because it was so cold and I thought, what, am I, what is wrong with me? Like, I'm fit and healthy and I <laughs> yep. can do plenty of push ups. But yeah, just that culture shock, uh, temperature shock, and yep. um, yeah, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Just a ch- complete change. Yeah, I think so. That's huge. Yep.
0: So you get your van, you fit it out um, mid March
1: yep, at so, this point. Yep. So that was, that was all within like the first week. Um, we also done a retreat with the whole team to France wow um so that like was our, all the riders yeah so all the riders uh, and all the promoter team yeah uh, and our team manager um so yeah flew out to France and we did three days out there team bonding and getting to know each other because there was three Aussies, uh three Brits and a Danish guy
0: so who's in your team who was in the team for 2020
1: yeah so we had Danny King as our captain yep. um I was number two uh, Stevie Worrell from the UK. Uh, Adam Alice from the UK, uh, Stefan Nelson, and the other Aussies, Josh McDonald and Ben Cook.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the three Aussies obviously knew each other, but and the, the Brits knew each other, but we'd not come together and met everyone together. Yep. So, um, yeah, that was a cool experience. We'd done a lot of things like playing golf and shooting and um, a lot of things like that to bond. And, yeah, we were feeling really good. Like We, we have a solid team with a lot yep. of potential. And great bunch of guys because
0: this is coming from australia this would have been the first introduction to you to being part of a team sport
1: yeah definitely so
0: in motorcycle racing
1: yep so in australia it's all individual racing Mm. uh whereas in the uk um denmark sweden and poland it's predominantly team racing Mm. um so you you have seven guys on a team and it's basically like a football uh, league where you verse the other teams home and away Mm. so you travel up and down the country um and yeah, versus those guys in a league, a league format throughout the year until you get to the playoffs.
0: What a cool experience going to France to do that! Like it's something yeah. they obviously have done for a lot of years. That's their their thing. But yep. coming from here, you just never expect it.
1: Yeah, that's it. And it was a great experience, um, great place, and a great team. And uh, we were on a high, and we we were ready to roll along with the season.
0: Yep. So that's Fran-
1: that's um, late March. That was uh, the middle of March then. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So come back to the UK. Back to the UK.
0: Get some chance to... Crumpy would have been getting pretty close to being there at this point.
1: Yes, I think he flew in a week after me, so he would have been there then.
0: And you were at the press day for that?
1: Yeah, so I decided to go on a bit of a journey and went to Ipswich um, for the press and practice.
0: So how far is that? Give us an idea.
1: So that was... That's probably four and a half hours from where I was. Oh, serious? Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, But I had some other meetings and stuff to go to, so... I kind of made it all happen uh, yeah. on that day. Um, yeah, so that was Ipswich press and practice, and obviously Crumpy's returned to racing after eight years out.
0: Was that a buzz over there?
1: Oh, yeah, it was so much hype because yeah. he'd signed for Ipswich and Nicky Patterson had signed for Sheffield. So cool so, for the sport. Oh, yeah, it was going to be a big year. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, two really great signings.
0: Mm. Yeah, like internationally, like we've we seen it even here, like a lot of I was like, wow, that is... That's incredible. And obviously yeah. seeing Pedersen come back as well. Yeah. Um, Pedersen's had a tough few years, like injury-wise and stuff like that. But to get him back on the field would have been awesome.
1: Yeah, and so. he's, he's still racing, like, in the top level in uh, Poland and Denmark, and 100%. He, he can still turn the throttle. Yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah.
0: I don't think at, at that level, whatever leaves you too.
1: I don't think so. And based on Crumpy's performances this yeah. year. He's it's still, still got it. Yeah, <laughs> he can still drop a clutch.
0: So you went up to Ipswich. Switch. That's yeah. what you did. So uh, went up
1: there, helped Jason out for the day. Yep. Um, and then he had two brand new bikes, and he said, "Oh well, I'm not going to ride the other one, so you may as well run that one in." Oh no. So he's right. Yeah. So here I am. Yeah. Just come up to help him. He's like, "Have you got your gear bag?" Yeah, it's in the van. So luckily I brought that, and I got to run his second bike in yep. uh, Dip Switch. Um, pretty cool my first laps in the UK um, cool track and and another club so um, that was one thing ticked off and one track I'd done and um, yeah then basically it was all starting to this COVID thing was all starting to hit us and Crumpy sort of said I'm going home early so he he basically booked a flight and he was out Heathrow that night and he was gone wow and yeah just like that things started to turn pretty quick
0: it did happen fast, didn't it? Like this is, you know, mid to late March at this point. And yeah, like he, he was home. And then I think he just got in the first week of having to quarantine, home quarantine. Yeah. You know? yep. And he had, he had to do that. But um, yeah, you were up there.
1: Yeah. So, and it was like, well, do I really want to go home or do I want to stay here and chase my dreams? Because at that point, the season had only been pushed back to April. Yeah. So we're only talking a couple of weeks and i thought well the situation's going to be not much better back home Mm. plus they're bringing in like quarantine and stuff and my my thoughts all along were, i don't want to quarantine because that's two weeks of your life you're never going to get back and i feel like if i stay in the uk there's so much more i can do Uh, because as i said i like being organized and prepared the last thing i want to do is go back to home in australia and have all these things still to do in the uk Mm. So my decision was to stay and basically get as much done as I could uh, in the next couple of weeks until April so we could crack on and start the season then.
0: What a, what a bizarre thing, <laughs> eh? So you did, you stayed there. Um, what are the teams saying at this point? Are they giving you support saying, hey, mate, you've got the option to go home if you want, or what, what's going on there?
1: I think the main consensus was they encouraged us to stay Mm. because it was only going to be a couple of weeks. But a lot of Aussies had made the decision to go home because right. the government advice at the time was, like, get home, get home as soon as possible. Uh, this is going to be a global pandemic. Um, commercial flights are going to be unavailable. So, yeah, a lot of guys did go home and, and got home and done the self-quarantine. Mm. How would the
0: UK turn at that point?
1: Yeah, did you see so, a change
0: from from being there four weeks before? Yep. Did you see it gradually change?
1: It sort of changed pretty quick. Really? Yeah. So in my opinion, I think they should have acted a little bit sooner. Yeah. Um, because, for example, when I come over in March, there was no restrictions, no checks, mm-hmm. um, nothing. So And by the time I'd come back from France and back, there was still nothing. So you've got thousands and probably hundreds of thousands of people in and out of the UK yep. before they even acted um, and basically soon after that, they announced that it was going to be a full lockdown. So mm. that means you can stay in your house all day. You can't go out. You can only go out for food or like an hour exercise a day. Um, and that, that was a, a massive shock. Yeah. So by that time I'd actually, uh, I've got a friend that works, um, for Hagen Shocks in the UK. Yep. Uh, he's, a, he's a local boy, actually, from Brisbane, to Woomba.
0: And Hagen is Speedway.
1: Yeah, Hagen. Like, they've sponsored so many people throughout the years and a massive, massive company that manufacture shocks for all sorts of motorbikes in the UK. Yep. And a long-term sponsor of Jason's as well. And they also sponsor an American guy. And their American rider had flown back to the USA. So there was an option there for me to, to stay with them during lockdown. Mm. And that was really good because I then had their workshop to be able to finish my bikes, um, tinker and do a little thing, a few things, because they're an engineering shop and I'm a machinist. So I'm down the back making things on the lathe and making these bikes lighter and faster and whatever I can do, as well as got to spend a bit of time with one of my mates from Australia and um, sort of help each other through the lockdown, I suppose, because... I bought a mountain bike straight away as soon as lockdown started yep. um, because I need to be doing something and I need to be training. So that was my decision. And, um, yeah, we, we basically mountain biked every track there was south of London and, uh, everywhere we could, whenever we could.
0: Is it, is it much of a mountain bike scene? South of London?
1: Um, yeah, it's impressive. Really? So I was just going to buy a hardtail cross country bike just to pound out the laps and, um, the kilometers, but. When I started researching the tracks in the UK, I thought, "No, nah, I'm going to get a decent bike," and yep. ended up getting a full spec enduro bike similar to what I have in Australia here. And um, yeah, we were we were shredding some good trails. Cause like, if anyone checks
0: out your Insta, you go pretty well on a mountain bike too, hey?
1: Yeah, I love it. Yeah, so, my brother and I've grown up on a farm, always had <laughs> dirt jumps. with, I don't even know how many bikes I've had. Yeah, motorbikes and mountain bikes and push bikes and BMX bikes. Yeah, um, yeah. So we love it and. I uh, love, yeah, love mountain biking. and it's like the closest thing to riding a motorbike and the best training. So yep. yeah, it's good.
0: Because what's what's the name of that um, that area inland from Rocky? It's got the mountain bike tracks, um, the big big rocky terrain. It's on your your page as yeah, well. Yeah, like
1: Mount Archer. Mount Archer. Yeah. So Mate, I live I live five hundred meters from there. <laughs> seriously. Yeah, Some great. of the pics
0: of that place. Don't know how you do that either.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, it's awesome. We've, we've got some really good trails there. And yep. the uh, Rockhampton Club and the yep. council have really done well in the last uh, five or six years and spent a lot of money. And uh, it's a, a really great tourist attraction now for Rockhampton. It's good. It's good yeah. to see. Oh, absolutely.
0: Like um, a lot of places along, you know, Queensland coastline or inland Queensland um, need stuff like that. Yeah, and for it's really sure. cool to see. And they're just and you may, may have or may not have seen it, but they've just done an ad for it uh, for mountain biking. It's a sponsored post that keeps popping up. It's oh, really? for mountain biking up there. Yeah. Well, that's pretty damn cool. Yeah, so.
1: I actually featured in the last mountain biking ad they did. Oh, really? But I think they've cropped me out of this new one. Maybe. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you left there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right, So you are Hagen.
1: Yep. Working on stuff. Yeah, so tw- tweaking the bikes and yep. getting them all sorted out. I uh, finished the van as well. Um, so yeah, I had no reason to come back to Australia. I was, um, ticking off everything I had to do in the UK yep. and I'm um, just getting prepared to go racing in April and nothing happened. No. Nah, so we got to April and the situation was not getting any better. So was it, was it getting
0: worse in the UK?
1: Like, yeah. So their cases and deaths were, were rising around you though. You could see, no. When, so initially, yeah, initially, And for a long time i did not know of any cases anyone with it anyone that had died or anything wow um so there's all these all these deaths and cases and stuff but you know you never knew of anyone that had actually affected Yep. um so that was a bit bizarre Mm. but later on down the track yeah you started to know people that had it or yeah i got a positive test or whatever
0: yep in your time there did you get a positive test
1: no so i've had four tests now um, two in the UK and two since I've been back in Australia. Yeah. And, yeah, luckily I've been negative. Yeah, right.
0: Especially, like, knowing people along the way that may or may not have and had it. So, yep. all right. So, April. April comes around. You were talking to Paul all the way through it. Um, they're still hopeful of having a season. There was talk of changing the season up a bit, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, so... Depending on when they could start, yep, uh, it would it would probably be a reduced season. Mm. So instead of like two away um, fixtures, it yep. might be one. Um, so a reduced season, basically. Uh, but it was it was positive. Like the talk was that it was going to happen. There'd be practice that we could do. Yep. Uh, and it was all it was all looking pretty good. And um, by that time, it had sort of been pushed back to June. Yep. And we thought, yep, come June, we'll be we'll be on and away and where yeah, we go? To go yeah
0: so at this point you actually still hadn't ridden your bike yet had you no at all so
1: I'd ridden Jason's bike at Ipswich yeah. and that was it so you haven't been on a speedway bike since the so, do I. so I'd done a couple of practices in yep. Australia before I left that's it so yeah long time uh,
0: long long time <laughs> and uh, okay so season gets pushed back what are you doing in this period still at Hagen
1: yeah so I was still living with them yep. um, which was really good because they basically become my family and, yep. and looked after me and um that was a great place to stay and um i'd hate to think what life would have been like if i didn't have that great support throughout lockdown i Mm. think it would have been would have been crazy because um i'm not sure what lockdown was like in australia but lockdown in the uk was was serious um so yeah that was an interesting experience
0: who was um who was their american rider that was staying there
1: uh it's brock nickel okay Yeah. so they the hagan's had a facility in america a few years back, right, and they become good friends with Brock, and yeah, um, then when Brock come to the UK to race, they've basically supported him.
0: There's some you hear from a lot of riders, um, is the relationships that you build on. It's like your billet, you know, your family that, you, that take you in, and that um, without that, it makes it so hard, so much harder to go. Is that the same as you? Like maybe not families over there, but ha- yeah. Hagen, for instance, like that must be, it must have been a lot harder. To not have those people around, if you were just completely by yourself, yeah,
1: yeah, I think so. And being within us in a speedway type family, a mm. motorcycling business, yeah, um, you're living and breathing it every day. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was was definitely good and definitely helped.
0: Were they still trading? Were they still running an operational shop? Or? Yeah,
1: so they had, I think they might have had a few days off because the, the government advice at the time was a bit, a um, bit blurry. So. It yeah. sort of took a little bit of time off to sort of work out what was happening, um, but they ended up they ended up trading again, and um, they were they were busy as so. Um, they were one of the key businesses, I suppose, because they do supply shock absorbers and stuff um, for the medical industry and, and things like that. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, that was sort of their valid reason to remain trading. Yep, they're critical
0: critical business. Yeah. So what happens now? You 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 still just mountain biking
1: yeah training and trying to stay sane the best i can yeah um but then we sort of got to got to june things were looking pretty good yeah uh we actually had a few practices then yeah and the team pool pool team had put out a date that we were going to have a behind closed doors team practice session yeah it wasn't at our home track because there's a few few problems with the way our home tracks run um with regards to staff uh, and those staff are on furlough. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a behind closed doors practice session at Leicester, which were basically holding practices. Um, you could private hire the, the facility. Yep. Um, so that was really cool. We got our, got our race suits and uh, met up with the team again and got some laps on the bikes, run so them in.
0: How's your bike out of the box?
1: Yeah, good. So basically I'd sent over two engines from Australia Oh, did you? So yeah. I was already familiar with my engines, mm-hmm. um, and I've basically built the same bikes over there. So yep. uh, obviously they're fresh, brand-new clutches and stuff like that. So uh, they were really good, and uh, all the parts are the same, so literally exactly the same as what I've got here. Yeah, cool. And what what have you got here? What are you running? Yeah, so I run 99% of people run GM engines. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got two of those, uh, and I run all Stuart frames um and then basically build up with all the parts that i specifically want to use yep. so you've got like jtr wheels um neb clutches um and then all the little parts like your handlebars seats they're all sort of custom fitted to how you like it yep that's a um
0: like you said at the start that's a cool part of it you really get to detail what you want do
1: yeah for sure the bikes are basically custom built to suit you and um You can do whatever you want to do it, to customise it, to suit you. Do you see much different in the bikes over there compared to here?
0: What's the go with the new front end? What's the go with the new suspension on the front? With the... The remote uh, reservoir. Which one? Unoski's? I've seen just a couple of photos with a remote Olin's reservoir on the front of a couple of the shocks now. On the front of the forks.
1: So so Olin's...
0: Yeah, what's going on there?
1: Yeah, I've got one of those.
0: Yeah, what's Um, going on? What is it?
1: yeah it's just a bit of a high performance yep. shock um has it has it helped oh, it's hard to say because like the bumps on a speedway track are so so different and random i suppose like mm. i guess with a speedway shock you basically want it to be smooth um return back at the right speed yep and, and keep your front wheel on the ground um because you basically you're relying on that front wheel to stick yeah. um for you to hold your line so um, having a good performing front shock is pretty important. Mm. It's, it's you know the bikes apart from obviously the, the motor
0: coming forward, rotating forward, the bikes have remained fairly similar for for lots of years. Yeah. That's the biggest change I see as a as an outsider. Yeah, years, you
1: know, there's probably been a few. Um, Speedway is yep. the purest, rawest, yep, most original motorsport there is. Yep. Uh, we have a 500cc engine fueled by methanol through a carburetor. Mm-hmm with no electronics. So all we have now, which is a new rule this year is a rev limiter. And that's basically for engine longevity on the start line. Yeah, cool. Uh, that's set to 12 and a RPM uh, because there are particular riders like Crumpy, who like to rev it to 14,000 yeah. on the start line. And that's not very good for your engine. So um, is that more for a uh, cost, cost management? yeah that's one of the things they've tried to bring in to yep. to save the engines and uh, reduce the cost cool but yeah that's that's all a Speedway bike is it's basically a 27 kilo engine with 70 horsepower bolted into a BMX frame unreal <laughs> <laughs> no brakes yeah no brakes yeah. so uh, we have a gear ratio that we can change with our yep. sprockets um, a primary drive to our clutch and then a rear chain to the back wheel and um, yeah, she's full revs at the start line. Drop the clutch, and you're on full throttle. Four laps, four riders. And what do you got? Your biggest adjustment, I guess, your ignition timing. Yeah, so you've got your ignition timing, uh, your cam timing. Yep. Um, your carburetion, uh, and then you've got your gearing, uh, your tire pressures, uh, your clutch setup. Um, yeah, that's your main ones. It's so raw. Yeah, and it. The part I like about it is so much comes back to the rider. Yep. Um, and there's a lot of strategy. Mm. And you've got to stay, you've got to be reading the track, reading your competitors and um, sort of trying to outsmart them, I guess.
0: Why hasn't Speedway become like MotoGP? That is like cre- is it in popularity?
1: Like- oh, that's a question I ask everyone every week. Yep. It's one of the only sports that I like that you can sit on the edge of your seat Yep. Not know who's gonna win. It's all over in sixty seconds. You can sit up in the grandstand in any seat in the stadium yep. and see the whole sport. Um, it's done in it's, three hours. Yep, done. It's sounds good, smells good. Yeah, uh, it takes it every box. Yeah, you it know, honestly, should be the biggest
0: sport in the world. Like we went to um, to New Zealand for the Grand Prix when it comes to New Zealand, at Western Springs. Went there a couple of times. Incredible. Did um, Eddie had when it was called Eddie down in Melbourne when it came here. Uh, 2002, we had it here at uh, Olympic Park. And the crowds, like we just don't, I, I, I cannot understand why it's not selling out a stadium. Like yeah. it's, it is the most incredible form of the sport. The riders have got incredible personalities. Uh, as I say, it's a three-hour package. It can be done by ten o'clock, and you can go out in the town. Yeah. Because the the tracks when they go to do these things at stadiums are places where there's towns. Yeah. It's not like, um, you know, it's not a remote, usually, uh, venue. Like it,
1: it, yeah. Yeah. For sure. And... Blows me away. I went to Etihad the three years it was here as well, and that was awesome. So the first year... It's the best. First year, 2015, that was when I started Speedway as well. Right. So I'd only had a couple of rides on my bike yeah. before I went to Etihad. And, yeah, I was sitting on my seat going, yeah, I want to do this. I want to beat these guys. Like, this is awesome.
0: Talking about that night just makes my spine tingle now. Just yeah. that was that that first walking into the venue, like yeah. uh, you know, I hadn't I've never been to the UK to watch a speedway. Love to go to Cardiff, i love to go to one, it'd be awesome. But I've been to Western Springs. Yep. That was good. But then going to Eddie Hard and hearing it and seeing it, that's cool, eh?
1: Yeah. And just walking outside Eddie Hard and hearing the bikes, like Yeah. Oh, it's just crazy. It was. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah.
0: I don't I, I don't know why it didn't go better um, you know the first year I think they had 27,000 the second year it was 18,000
1: yeah you know, and I think I think it held in the 20s um, over the couple of years but um, I I did hear that uh, the stadium themselves didn't do much with the marketing of the event yeah. um, which is a shame because you know I'm sh- Melbourne's a great place and I'm sure it's a sports city I'm sure people would have uh, well I believe people would have loved it I agree yeah
0: yeah, that um, that night that Jason Doyle went over the fence. That was the first year I'm pretty sure.
1: Yep. Yeah, so that was that was one of his first years in the Grand Prix, and yeah. he'd started to find some form that year as well. He was fast. Yeah, yeah, he was and really fast. Hancock dominated that. He won seven out of seven that year.
0: He did. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah, incredible, awesome year, and that was sort of like a turning point for the sport too. You know, you started to see obviously Tyler's really coming into his time then. Yeah. Um, yeah, good timing. So. Yeah.
1: And the, the following year, Chris won the, won the round, Chris Holder. Yeah, that's right. And then the next year, uh, Doily won the round and the World Championship, and the roof nearly blew off that place. Yeah, that was cool. That was awesome.
0: That's – yeah, What and that, that was it. That was the last one.
1: Yeah, that was the last one. So, um, Doily, the last Australian champion to be crowned here in Australia.
0: That was uh, – and it's one of those things where the, it was uh, – just one of those moments that you just see all a lot of hard work just culminate in that one night. You know, like Jason Doyle, in those previous two, three years probably, he was fast, like incredibly fast and awesome to watch. Everything was on the line, but he had some huge stacks too, yeah. you know.
1: Um, he basically had the season, the championship wrapped up the year before yeah. until um, he got into a tangle in Torren and ended up in hospital with um, pretty bad injuries, I think some lung damage, yeah. Um, broken elbow, I think, perhaps. Um, but, yeah, he was on form and definitely improving over those couple of years.
0: Yeah, so that one night, it all come down to that. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty cool. And I think he w- rode that with a broken foot. Yes. I'm pretty sure he was I in I think he the did half,
1: half the season with a broken, broken foot because foot. Yeah. At, at Cardiff he um, threw the crutches. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he was in a boot for the season. <laughs> yeah, So fair play to him. 100%. What, an, what an inspiration. And he is yep. a great example of coming from nowhere, basically, and and succeeding. Um, when he first went to the UK, I think it's fair to say he wasn't world class. Yep. Um, but through hard work and determination, he's, he's turned himself around and become one of the best in the world. Yep. And you won't find a
0: harder worker. No, he's a pig dog. Yep. Just gritty. Yep. You know, so, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, same deal. Like he's a world champion. Yeah, it's 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 huge, mate. Awesome. Anyone's the world champion. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. June, you've ridden your bikes. Yeah. Let's yep. go back on track. Um, it was good. Good being back with the team. Yep. Good being back on a motorcycle, I guess. Yeah,
1: for sure. I actually, started to uh, realize why we we're over there, and it's good to actually get back on the bike again.
0: Start to feel your dream come back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. By that time, we thought, yep, it's going to happen. Like we're going to be starting end of June and um, start of July. Yeah. And it was all looking pretty positive.
0: Like, mate, we're sitting here. It's 20th of October. Yeah. (laughs) This is crazy. Like Uh, to talk what you've been through.
1: Oh yeah. Um, okay.
0: Then where where do you go? You go back to, do you go back to Hagen? Are you living in Hagen at this point?
1: Um, so by that point, because the season was looking like it was going to happen, I decided to relocate back down to Poole. Hmm. Um, because that was where my base was. And, um, yeah, we were going to be racing there every Wednesday night. So I moved back down to Poole and, um. Yeah, it was the first week was strange because I didn't really know anyone down there yet because I only spent the first couple of weeks there. But I was busy doing my own stuff and getting ready. Yep. So, um, yeah, that was kind of strange. But I'm um, fortunate enough to Dan Ford from the team, Matt's son, and um, he's he's basically runs the show yep. in the UK. Uh, he introduced me to a few club sponsors and a few of his friends and. Uh, really got a, a good close bond going with them, and um, they sort of become another family of mine then. And um, yeah, they sort of we were sort of watching the Polish Speedway on the weekends together and hanging out, and um, that was really good. That was sort of good camaraderie and um, good to spend time with, with other people that love Speedway.
0: At any time in this period, because obviously um, Poland's going, like they're they're going their season. Did you did you think about going over? Or department. trying to.
1: Yeah, trying yeah. anything. So my focus was the UK first yep. because I have a contract there and I couldn't really go home until the season was going ahead or cancelled in the UK. Mm. So my decision was I'm going to stay until a decision is made. Yeah. Um, Because now my luck, I would have flew home and the next week the UK Speedway would have started. What are your family saying? Uh, they're supportive. Yeah, just they, that? Yeah, like... I think the decisions I made at the time were fair based on the circumstances. Yep. Um, so yeah, every decision I made, I, th- I stand behind it. Um, but yeah, I sort of talked it through with them and I said, look, this is what's happening. Uh, this is what's probably going to happen. So I'm going to stay and hopefully see what happens. All right.
0: It's, it's, yeah, it's a big, it's a big,
1: yeah. it's such a weird year. But then uh, basically on the – what date was it now? I think it was the 22nd of July.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we'd done a few practices. Things were looking okay. And then it sort of went a bit quiet. And the government announcements
0: – This is July.
1: Yeah. So the government announcements were looking good. So the government put out a plan. Yep. And so this is our roadmap to getting back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, what, this is what sports can resume and yep. how many – people can go to a stadium or indoors or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that looked positive for Speedway. So again, we think, yep, she's gonna happen. And then on the 22nd of July, we'll never forget this, uh, the British Speedway put out an announcement that 2020 season was completely canceled, done. Well, I and I just felt my heart sink because I'd worked so hard for it in the, in the years leading up to it to get over there I'd basically put in like four months work over there to get ready and and go for it. And it was looking positive and we thought it was gonna happen. And then all of a sudden he's canceled, nothing. Hmm. And yeah, that was a heartbreaking day. And uh, there was a lot of us, a lot of people that felt that same way because uh, obviously the promoters want to run too because it's their investment and Hmm. they they want to run. And there's guys from all around the world in the UK to race they all want to race. Mm. Um, so then it was, yeah, just a matter of gathering your thoughts for a couple of days and working out what the next step's going to be.
0: Why, why, and you might not even know, why couldn't Speedway run? Like British Superbikes ran. Yep. EPL ran. Without, all these things, obviously, no crowds and stuff for a lot. Why, why, why couldn't it run? Was there a, a hard reason? Yeah, so... And don't get yourself into trouble because you've got to race here again. Yeah, yeah. Why?
1: Um, so, Speedway in the UK relies on crowds.
0: Okay, crowdfunding. Yep. Fair enough.
1: So, our TV, these day, our TV contract these days isn't good enough um, yeah. for big time sponsorship to run behind closed doors. Fair enough. Um, and that's the short reason of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was probably going to be redric- uh, restrictions on spectators at stadiums. Yep. Um, so, it was, yeah, it was not going to happen with reduced capacity. So there's not enough money in the sport uh, to have a zero capacity crowd. Yeah, basically. And when you compare that to Poland, Poland kicked off in July as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were fully behind closed doors at the start. Yeah. But um, that's because they've got big TV contracts and they could afford to do it without the crowd. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, it's fair.
0: Like it's a business. In the end of the day, it's a business. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a shame like that it comes to that, but uh, yeah, it does make I guess financial sense. So. Wow,
1: what a kick in the guts. Yeah, huge. And yeah, it took me a little while to work out what I was going to do after that because you've sort of given up so much. Yeah, you've given up. I've sacrificed my life in Australia, given up so much yep. um, to go over there. And then to have that taken away from you just like that was um, pretty heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, it, it is. There's nothing, yeah, it's just our season the whole thing, it's it's all gone.
1: 2020.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's 2028. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And there's no flights home.
1: Mid-July, I'm I'm just trying to think of. Yeah, so that was- There's nothing as well, you're stuck there. That was a tough time because by that time, Australia had finished their rescue flights. Yeah, all the expat flights are out. Yeah. So there's not many options left. And they'd already made the announcement that if you didn't have your flight booked by a certain date, then you'd have to pay for your quarantine. Mm, that's right. So – and I didn't have a return flight booked because um, it, depending on how well your team goes throughout the year and then in the playoffs depends on how soon you come home. So how you long might. does the
0: season go? Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. So you start on – it starts in March. Yep. How long does it, does it run to? Likely?
1: So your fixtures would normally run to like August, early September. Yep. Um, and then the playoffs start. Mm. And depending how well you go in the playoffs – uh, you might be there till the thirty-first of October, mm-hmm. and then yeah, journey back to Australia for the so you, summer.
0: So you really don't know, do you?
1: Nah, it could be, could be uh, the start of September. It could be the end of October.
0: Yep. Mm. All right. So you started looking for flights. I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, but there wasn't much available, and mm. the ones that were were quite expensive. What sort of price? Uh, ten thousand uh, pound, ten thousand Australian, or five thousand pound
0: from the UK to here. Yep. And then you got to pay quarantine.
1: Yep, so another 3,000 Australian.
0: Wow. <laughs> it's it's preposterous.
1: Oh, it blows your mind. And yep. up until that point, I was content to stay in the UK. Mm. So my mind was purely focused on racing yep. and staying there for the season. On the 23rd of July, the day after, I was like, all right, maybe it's time to go home. Mm. And your mind, your mind flicks and... Uh, when you start when you decide you want to go home you want to go home yeah uh, but when the flights are that expensive and you literally can't afford it you're stuck there
0: the mind's a brutal thing eh?
1: oh crazy and just that yeah that one moment of finding out the season's going to end and then you decide you want to go home and then you just yeah, you feel sick and there's nothing you can do about it
0: so you you wouldn't have earned a cent in your year either no because you haven't turned a wheel
1: that's right so speedway we only get paid on our race results yeah
0: so your contract that you get isn't a contract that's paid on um just come here mate we'll get you something yeah no you've got to go turn a wheel
1: that's it so i was i'm fortunate enough i'm a quite a professional rider with a great bunch of sponsors behind me um and a lot of sponsors in australia that have backed me long term Mm. so uh, they really helped me um, survived this year yeah and i've also gained a lot of respect from people in the uk and got a few local sponsors from pool on board now um which also helped me this year so how old are you 27 you handle yourself
0: in such a professional manner like the whole time we've been talking and that before this as well like that obviously goes a long way hey
1: yeah i think so i'm um, not sure really where that comes from but i do remember when i was young uh, when i wanted to be a professional motorbike rider yeah i wanted to be a professional on and off the track mm. um and i guess i've just carried that all the way through i think also when i stepped away from when dad supports you so your dad supports you going mm. up through racing when i stepped away from that and started doing things on my own at about 19 uh paying for my own bikes my own travel my own parts all that i think i I think I matured a lot then and realised that I have a lot to offer sponsors and that's when I really took things a lot more serious and, um, yeah, started started becoming a professional athlete, I guess.
0: It's, it's a, it's a um, complete different thing to develop, isn't
1: it? Yeah, and I was fortunate. Like, I'd done motorcycle in Queensland training camps. I went to the AIS. So we, we'd had lectures on all this sort of professional stuff and um, social media and all that. What year at the AIS? 2011 I was AIS okay yeah yeah so in the early days yeah yeah for sure it's it's funny I think
0: most of the people that have been here have had the AOS. motorcycle it's 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 been such a thing for motorcycling in Australia uh, it's helped so many riders develop
1: yeah for sure like you look at any of the successful guys in the current sort of era yep they've all come through the AIS stuff and the the MQ training training camps as well pretty cool yeah,
0: it's uh, yeah, they've stopped doing the AIS ones, I believe, but MQ ones are still running, and um, I, I could just about say anyone that I've had in here that's sort of of your generation as such, um, have done that, have done that course.
1: Yeah, and to, to be honest, I think that was a key point in in my learning experience and developing as a rider and an athlete as well, because they provided us with so much valuable information.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's something you need because geez you as a rider you go into a lot of
1: situations completely blind yeah definitely You're oblivious to the the other part of the world yeah and especially for Speedway like I mentioned yep. we're self-employed so we are responsible for everything ourselves yeah so we negotiate our own contracts talk to our own sponsors hmm. decide who's on our team um, do our own social media you name it we're responsible so um, yeah having all those things behind me definitely helps How'd you choose a mechanic for the year? Uh, basically, just a local guy that had mechanic previously. Yep. Um, so that was the best bet uh, because I'd not known anyone over there. Mm-hmm.
0: It's because it's, it's a it's a uh, it's a bond that you're gonna you're gonna have to carry for hopefully a few years, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. Your mechanic is so important. Um, yep. You put a lot of trust in them to make sure that everything's done right on the bike, and um, you want them to be able to help you as well to to know what needs to be done um, to go out and win.
0: Because the mechanic often becomes your van driver, your your person that you put your most trust in when you're trying to sleep. You yeah. know, to get between race meetings, there's a lot a lot yeah. t- more to it too, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. Okay, twenty third July, where where do you go from?
1: Yep. So you're mountain biking again,
0: just to try and keep your head clear, or what? Yeah,
1: you yeah, definitely. Uh, that's one thing I like about mountain biking is just getting out in the open space and training and trying to clear your head. Yep. But by that time, I sort of realised that. Getting home is not gonna be that easy.
0: Mm.
1: So, what am I gonna do? Well, the flights reasonable flight reasonable priced flights aren't gonna be until sort of a bit later on, August, September, October. Yep. So I thought, oh well, I'll we'll just keep an eye on the flights and I'll might see what options there are in Poland and Sweden. To race? Yeah. Right. Because Poland and Sweden had sorta of, had kicked off and there was kind of a Availability for riders because certain riders weren't racing. They'd elected not to race. Yep. Um, certain riders couldn't travel from various countries. So I thought, right, oh, well, I'm going to try and go to Poland and Sweden. Tried really hard without, contacted pretty much every club over there. Yep. Um, had, a, had two clubs that it looked like something might happen, um, but due to their budgets, they weren't going to commit. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it was all right, back to the drawing board, how am I going to get home? Mm. And at that time, the Australian government had the restrictions on how many passengers could come back into Australia, Mm -hmm. and that was making it extremely difficult to get home. Uh, There was over 30,000 Australians stranded overseas trying to get back, and only like 500 allowed into Queensland each week. It's like a funnel. Yeah. It's like a small
0: hole of a funnel. You know?
1: And personally, I don't really understand why they had the the cap because we have to quarantine when we get back anyway. Mm. So just help us get home, do the two weeks quarantine, and we'll be all good. But that was a situation that it was. And. Yeah. Cards you dealt, aren't they? Yeah. Just Mm. have to do what you can to make the most of it.
0: Wow. Okay. So you're just. Between then and what did you, you do? Like, you, you, you've only just gotten home. Yeah. Yeah? Well, well
1: you're actually not home yet. No, I'm not, <laughs> not quite. Well, I've got one more flight to go. But you've uh, just got yeah. out of your
0: quarantine, so we'll just cover that one. Yeah, yeah. And we're two metres um, apart. But,
1: uh, <laughs> uh, so what did I do? So, yeah. like I said earlier, lucky to have a great group of friends in Pearl. Yep. So Speedway was on Tuesdays and Thursdays in Sweden. Good coverage. Yeah. yeah. So on, on all the channels in, in the UK. So uh, we could watch that. Uh, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays was again Speedway. Yep. So that was um, Polish League and Grand Prix. Yep. Uh, as well as on Wednesday nights at that time was the Euro um, Championship. Mm-hmm. So the European Championship. So we were watching Speedway nearly every night. Um, as well as obviously my mountain bike and my running. Um, the gyms had opened up again then. Yep. So I was smashing the gym every day, um, literally just training and, and watching Speedway, and um, we also started playing golf. So try oh,
0: really? to
1: try to bring my handicap down. <laughs> that was that was pretty cool. Like that that sort of gave me a bit of a distraction and something to focus on. Gives you gold, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because you need to have those things. And mm. um, yeah, while I couldn't get home, I, I needed something to keep me busy and keep my mind busy. And that
0: that must have been a huge a huge
1: help having a few finally having a few mates there and
0: some things to do. Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, they we all sort of pulled each other through, I guess, because yep. they'd gone through the lockdown as well, and uh, they found it pretty cool that they had a a pool pirates rider in their friend group. So yeah, yeah it was a bit of banter and it uh, is a huge good. thing. The pool pirates it carries a big oh yeah a lot of weight. Yep, and yeah, that it's just a, a great town and a great group of people and. Great sponsors within the club, and um, yeah, proud to be a part of it. So, when did you find out you're coming home? So, initially, I started to book a flight on the 11th of August, I think it was.
0: Okay, so
1: we're now in August.
0: Yeah. So you just skip through. You (laughs) did. Just. Let's skip through because you you've had a month of playing golf, mountain biking, watching Speedway, basically. Hey, like you can't do much else. (laughs) No, it wasn't much else. Yep.
1: I'd had a couple of practices after the season was cancelled. Oh, really? Yes. What track? Um, back at Leicester? So we went to, no, Leicester had some, um, but it was back to Somerset and King's Lynn. Oh, nice. So another couple of tracks, which was good. Yeah. So I managed to tick a few tracks off. What was it like to ride at King's? Uh, tricky. Really? Well, it's a funny track. It was, um, it's like a deep clay track because so they race the stock cars there. Mm hmm. Um, so. But on the day, it was fairly hard pack. Um, so it was good when it was when it was moist. Yep. It was slippery when it was dry, and it was even slippery when it was wet. Mm. So, yeah, it was a challenge. But I think on race days, they prepared a lot different with a bit more material. So yep. be keen to try that. But uh, really fast and different track. The tracks in the UK are all very different. And that's one of the reasons why it's important to go to the UK. Because every night of the week, you'll ride a different type of track.
0: You can ride anywhere in the world if you can ride the UK, can Yeah, basically. Yeah. Mm. So you got a few rides in.
1: Yeah, kept me uh, kept me sane and yeah, remembered how to twist
0: the throttle. And I guess at this point too, like you, uh, there's only so many times you can clean the bike when it's clean.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'd already polished that thing that many times, yeah. and um, yeah, it was madness. <clears throat> yeah, it's nuts. Yeah.
0: So where'd you go? You got your you got your first flight booked on August ten.
1: Yeah. So. I thought, all right, I'm going to be out of here soon. Yeah. Um. But then flight changes, all things.
0: So, what actually happens with a flight change? Like, I've heard of this happening. What happens? Did you guys get an email and say, no, you've been bumped because someone's paid you more money? Paid more money?
1: So, that was happening at the airport. Was it? Yes. Ah. So, people, I'm assuming, like the um, airlines that overbooked or yep. prioritised business class and first class.
0: Mm hmm
1: so you could get to the airport and get bumped off
0: like if you've got a flight reserved yep you
1: can get there go through the process go away yep Mm. so the world's fallen apart at this point and it was it's not very helpful for the vulnerable no because they can't afford business class they might be sick or need to get home to their family or to a funeral or whatever the case may be and they get stranded Mm. so it's really really quite sad and the Australian government didn't really offer much, much help for any of that.
0: Let alone the cost, the inherent cost of traveling to airports and, and okay, I can't, but maybe i got to put myself up in a hotel near here too. Cause I've got to go tomorrow. Yeah. A lot of people can't even afford that. Yeah. When they're
1: traveling, you know, we'll touch on that when we get to my, we in that experience. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's a little bit down, a little bit down the line. Okay. So yeah, so my flights, had basically been cancelled mm-hmm. and then what'd you pay for your first one um, so I got mine for six hundred pound
0: okay which that's is right. about
1: twelve hundred australian that's good so pretty good but yeah. that that was booked in advance, so that date original date for that one was the first of October mm. so I'm literally waiting two months yeah to my flight date,
0: and you were at twelve hundred bucks you would have to fly the plane yourself and clean it and yeah. Feel <laughs> <love about going laughs> car yeah
1: yeah 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 um but I had a date. Yep. I was leaving on the 1st of October and it was all going to be good. Mm. So then I could basically plan what I was doing then because I have to pack up all my bikes, move out of my accommodation, take my van back. Um, all these hoops you've got to jump through to go home. Yep.
0: Do you have to strip your van?
1: Yeah. So no, you do, All so my stuff pulled back out, take it back as a bare shell.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, ah, that's, yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's all my stuff's in a warehouse. With one of my sponsors in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all. Bikes all, and all? Yep. All wrapped up, ready to go, and i uh, crack on next year and unwrap it. And
0: So, did you send your two motors home?
1: Yes. So they're back in Australia now. They're
0: already here? Yep. Oh, that's good. Yep. So, so you're ready to go for when yeah, you do ride?
1: drop those in and hopefully get back on the practice track soon.
0: Yeah, cool. Mm, okay. So, you strip the van, yep. take your bikes to this place, bubble yep. wrap it, yep. do everything you can. In Trust me, people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Lucky with that. But in the meantime, my flight had been canceled a couple of times. Even this October one. Yep. (laughs) So throughout basically throughout August and September, uh, my flight was canceled and I had to reschedule it about four times. And every time you get the email, your flight has been canceled. Your heart just sinks and you think, when am I gonna get home?
0: And that's all it is, just email, no call, no yep. nothing, just an yep. email.
1: Yep. Mm. And from my experience, basically, it's up to you to reschedule that thing. So I'd be on the phone straight away, yep. hey look, I just got this email, when can you get me home? And that happened like four times. And eventually, I guess luckily for me, it only got pushed back a few days. Um, I think I ended up leaving on the 5th of October. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been the 4th of October. I left and uh, arrived on the 5th. Mm. Um, so I got pushed back a couple of days. But my original flight was Manchester to Brisbane. Manchester was going to work because that's where I had to drop the van back. Oh, nice. So yeah. it was the plan was to drop the van back, go to Manchester Airport, fly out.
0: Direct Manchester Brisbane? Uh, Abu Abu Dhabi. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yep. Uh, That got changed to Manchester to Sydney. Hmm. And I thought, well, I don't really want to go to Sydney because I need to be in Queensland. And I didn't know if I'd have to quarantine in both. Hmm. Um, But I eventually said, yep, just put me on that one um, because Sydney were taking in more passengers. And I thought, well, I've got a better chance of getting home. That got cancelled. Now it's Heathrow to Sydney and they took away... My Brisbane connecting leg from Sydney. Oh, really? Yep.
0: So, because so, I haven't been there, how far is Manchester Heathrow?
1: So, uh, you jumped in your van at Manchester? Yeah, so probably three and a half hours. So, now I had a problem. I had to take my van to Manchester, yep. get back down to Poole, pool, which is four hours away, yep. and then get up to Heathrow, which is two hours away. With a gear bag? With, yeah, my gear. I had to move out of my accommodation, pack up all my stuff, put everything in the warehouse. Um, and I also had to do a COVID test 96 hours before I left mm-hmm. which was the Etihad policy to go through the Arab Emirates yep. um, but that proved to be a problem as well because the cases were rising in the UK mm. and getting a test was actually a problem.
0: Because so oh, t- they, they don't to, have the actual
1: tests? Yeah mm. and I had to book a private test because I had to have a test certificate um, with the test date, test results and test results date. And that was, uh, that proved to be a mission and a a pretty costly thing too. Um, So I ended up, I had to book three different tests because I could not get one confirmed. Wow. And I can't fly without this negative COVID test. So So you've got all these things to juggle Within a couple of days of flying, mm. and you have to get your results back, and some companies won't get their results back for seventy-two hours. Right. So that literally leaves you know, the day before yep. you have to fly to find out if you're negative, positive, if you can fly or not. So, what ha- I, I'm I'm a
0: bit bit of a critic on this. What what happens if you get it in between that ninety-six hours
1: though? <laughs> I don't know, mate. Like it just makes yeah. no sense. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy crazy yeah anyway that's just that's yeah it's madness. yeah but yeah See, it, was, it was stressful because you don't know firstly you don't know if you're going to get a test you don't know if you're going to get your results back in time you've got to juggle all these other things and you just want to get home
0: what happens if, if you fail that test you'll have to pay your flight too because that's no longer their fault that you have.
1: yeah so they all the airlines had a policy yep. uh where they would um reschedule. If, yeah, something? so if it was COVID related, they reschedule it. Okay. Yep. So that was a bit of peace of mind. Um but yeah, like those last couple of days leading up to the flight were just stressful and you're just waiting to get home and wondering what else you gotta to do to body tick all these boxes. Yeah. So hey, you found one? You found a test place? Yeah, so I got a test. Um it cost me an arm and a leg. It was What's the test cost? So typically they were 150 pound, so like three three hundred really? Australian. Ah, but obviously they realised that there's a shortage of these tests. Supply demand, so, yeah. <laughs> so mine was 225 pound, so right. like 450, 450 Australian, yeah, for a walk in, walk out, two minute, two second swab. Yep. See you later. But I can't complain because they had the results in 24 hours. Yeah. Had my certificate, and I was on on my way. Good service. Yeah. Yeah. So I dropped my van back to Manchester Mm -hmm. and I had a great friend from Poole that drove all the way to Manchester, followed me up and drove me back down because I wanted to avoid public transport um, so I didn't catch the virus at this point as well. Um, So absolute legend for picking me up and bringing me back down. And then, yeah, it was just those last couple of days, got the test results, good to go, Um, packing your suitcase and just, yeah, counting down the hours until you you fly out
0: wow it's a long long process yeah and then you obviously yeah so van's back your mates helped airport time what's it like getting into an airport at the moment in the UK
1: crazy yeah quiet hardly anyone there Um, and this is Heathrow yep one One of the busiest busiest airports airports. yeah yep madness but obviously everyone the policies are face mask at all times Mm -hmm. in the airport so I basically wore my face mask from the moment i got to the airport until i got into the motel in sydney so like over 30 hours with the face mask on um yeah Heathrow was quiet i got there i decided to get there pretty early my flight was at say one o'clock in the afternoon Mm -hmm. i was there by like eight o'clock in the morning yeah i didn't want to mess around and wanted to make sure that i was there and everything was sorted out yeah um so I was first in line at check-in and probably lucky I was actually Really?
0: Yeah It so, guarantees you to spot, doesn't it?
1: Well, not really Still <laughs> So, in the weeks leading up to it I'd rang Eddie Hard pretty much every week yep. and said, hey, is my flight confirmed? Yep Because uh, obviously a lot of people had been getting bumped off and things were changing and I wanted to get home so, yep, all good Flight's all sweet You're on the flight All good so I arrive at check-in. Uh, first off, I present my no, sorry, I, I present my boarding pass, and mm-hmm. uh, my receipt. And they say, "Oh, sorry, we haven't got a, a, a space for you on the flight from uh, Abu Dhabi to Sydney." I was like, "What do you mean? Like I booked this thing three months ago. I rang every week. It's booked in." And they said, "No, nah, due to the passenger cap in Australia, we can't fit you on." I was like, "Wow." And then they looked at my COVID certificate and it only had the results date on it. Mm. And they needed the test date as well. So no, I, had, no. I had two things up against me. And I wasn't basically, wasn't going to get on the plane to go home. No. And again, your heart just sinks. You, you waited three months to get home and you get to the airport and they tell you that. And yeah, it was a mad, mad panic to try and sort it out. Um, it was a Sunday. Mm hmm. So my first priority was get this test sorted out. Yep. The certificate. Um so I rang the doctor's surgery, no answer. Oh, that's that's what you want on a Sunday. Yeah. And I thought oh, I'm gonna send him an email just in case. I sent him an email, I said, look, um, this certificate doesn't have the other date on it, can you please update it and send me it? Straight away my phone rings, no caller ID, it's the doctor. Oh wow. Oh, thank you. Explained the situation to him and he said, Yep, no worries. Another certificate coming through now. So I had that, went back up the check-in. Yeah, got that box ticked, went back up the check-in. And I said, I've got this updated certificate now. Um, Have you got a seat for me? Oh, no, sorry, you're just going to have to wait here and see if anyone doesn't show up or if anyone doesn't have a certificate. So I was put to the side. Um, So is your stuff checked in? No. You just got to sit there and wait? Yeah, with all your luggage. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And then another girl ends up standing behind me and I figure out that she's in the exact same situation. And then there's another family of four and then there's another couple and all these people are basically Australians trying to get home that have turned up and they said, sorry, we, we don't have a spot for you. And they've all paid the same, yep. the same ticket, they've got a receipt, it's all good. But obviously the airlines have oversold or bumping people off and it's crazy like we've all moved out of our accommodation handed the keys back packed up our lives and we just want to go home and you get to the airport on the day you're meant to fly out and they tell you you can't fly so what do
0: you think's happening you think that the airline knows that there's a cap this is what I think the airline knows that there's a cap of people coming into Australia so does the airline sell more tickets Just to guarantee that they're going to have that amount of people is that what you think
1: i think it has to be that and on the odd chance that someone doesn't have a certificate or goes negative uh, sorry positive yep um that's all i can put it down to
0: because they're and we'll get to when you're on the plane but they're running such minimal people on the plane they need to guarantee they'll oversell to guarantee that they're going to have a certain number on just to be able to make any money on the flight I'm guessing that's got to do with it too
1: I guess that's got to be it because there was more and more people getting lined up behind us Mm. um, in tears basically
0: so you see families having this at the airport and then it's you what goes on
1: yeah so I'm feeling feeling pretty bad and obviously anxious just waiting Um, it's only like a couple of hours till our flight leaves yeah and I don't know if I'm going so you're still sitting
0: there with your luggage at this point yep so
1: we're standing in a group uh, to the side of check-in mm-hmm. with all our luggage, and we're all feeling the same thing, obviously. Um,
0: so why why are some people checking in and
1: why are some out? Is uh, there any reason? It's a good question, mate. Don't and, no idea. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and I've got. We all have Australian passports. Yep. Um, who knows? Yeah. Okay. Who knows? I th- I think potentially the first flight was Heathrow to Abu Dhabi, mm-hmm. so there was people that weren't going all the way through to Australia. Okay, yep. Um, I think it was mainly the second flight in question whether they had enough space for us on mm. there. But yeah, anxious and a pretty pretty crazy time to be standing there waiting, not knowing. Yep. So, how, how long before the flight did you find out? It was about, we were standing there for about an hour and a half. So, this is families, you, everything? Yep. yep. And we sort of figured it out um, because they'd turned a few more people away. And me and this this other girl behind me um, were the first two. And we heard them say two. And we thought, oh, two, that might be us. Um, and they eventually come over to us and said, yep, we've got two seats for you and this girl. Wow. And it's just a huge sigh of relief to know that finally I'm going home on the ticket that I booked.
0: And that, and you've had months of thinking of it.
1: Yep. That must be a cool feeling. Oh yeah, huge relief. I yep. remember I got my bags checked in, um, I went straight over to a quiet area and rang mum and dad yeah. and just said, you're not going to believe what I've just been through. <laughs>
0: you just but, about run up the plane. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> but finally I'm coming home. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so massive relief and, yeah, finally just on that next step to getting back to reality.
0: So you get on, a, you get on the plane. What's the plane currently look like?
1: Empty. Just, yeah? Yeah, so the first flight to Abu Dhabi was... Uh, a little bit busier than the second flight. Yep. So there was probably maybe 70 or 80 people on that flight. Mm-hmm. But again, like a 400-seater, um, big Boeing plane with hardly anyone on there. Um, face mask, mandatory the whole time. Yep. Um, social distancing, so everyone was separated. Um, yeah, quite different to what you'd normally expect, especially flying into those cities.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a It's a hub.
1: Yeah. That's
0: there. Yeah, that must be so strange to, to do. Yeah. It must be so
1: odd. Yeah, yeah. and then we arrived at Abu Dhabi at uh, about midnight. Yeah, and it was still thirty-one degrees outside. Oh jeez! <laughs> so coming from the UK where it was <laughs> like fifteen, and yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't felt the humidity since I left in February or March. Yeah, um, so that was a bit of a shock. But get me my thongs back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So wow, that was pretty cool. And then yeah, Abu Dhabi Airport was dead. Really? Oh mate, hardly a soul in there. Yeah. Um never never thought I'd ever experience that. It's such a such a weird time to travel.
0: Yeah. In it, like when you see things like that, like the you know, at your age as well, um, my age, it, our lifetime we've never yeah. had uh like a, anything like this. Yeah. And a lot of people haven't, but in the stage of things like um significant life events like this, this is this is a this is huge. Yep. So yeah. airport empty airport is weird madness yeah so where do you go you get on a is, that, yeah. do you, do, is, there, is there say um, stopover yeah is there restaurants open is there is there service in the plane or what are they, what are they doing yeah
1: here? so service in the plane was fairly normal um, yeah. obviously you have to take your mask off to eat um, but you have to sanitize and yeah. and all that sort of stuff um, and obviously there's hardly anyone on board so you're all pretty separate mm-hmm. um, so that was fine uh I didn't have much time stopover in Abu Dhabi, so I didn't pay much attention. But I don't think there was much open at all. Mm. Um, we only had like forty minute stopover, and we had to change gates and bus. We bust on, bust off, and bust on. So, oh, so it was a rush. Yeah, it was mad. It was mad to try and get off one and find which gate you're at, and then go to the next plane. Well,
0: that's a good thing. You just want to get on and yeah. get home. <laughs> I
1: don't know if it is though, because your first flight's like the eight hours, yeah. and your second one's fourteen. So.
0: You're it's normally all right. Time.
1: Yeah, it's normally all right to have an hour and a half, two hours stop over to relax and have something yep. to eat. But yeah, like you said, I just wanted to get home, so yep. get me on that plane and let's get out of there.
0: Yep. So and, and that fourteen and eight, that's just the start of your fourteen days to <laughs> oh, Yeah,
1: that's the easy bit. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, so you but, get you get into Oz?
1: Yep. So there was only thirty five people on that flight From Abu Dhabi to Sydney? Yep. That's it. Thirty five people on a four hundred seat plane.
0: Oh man.
1: Crazy, yeah, isn't it's it? nuts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. who's pay- Like,
0: who's paying for this? Like, that's that's the crazy. You couldn't run that plane on thirty-five.
1: And I don't understand because there wasn't really anyone in business or first class. We mm. were we were pretty much all in economy. Yeah. Whether or not other people paid more than what I did, I'm not sure. But um, and potentially they're taking a lot more freight than they normally would as yeah, well. Yeah, true. So not as much, not as many planes flying. Because if you look at it, if you just
0: round it back to a thousand bucks, use twelve hundred, it's thirty-five grand. Like probably not going to diesel. Yeah, the fuel, the fuel <laughs> the in fuel. a couple of hours of it's going to go pretty quickly. So yeah, cargo is obviously going to have to have to make it up because, yeah, that's yeah, four hundred seats, they'd be just making profit then. Yeah, that's right. Things are so tight. Yep. Okay, so thirty-five people. Geez, you can lay down.
1: Yeah. Well, I could on the first flight. I had three seats myself, but. On the second one, I was in the very back row, so I only had two seats to myself. Oh really? And I'm 180 centimeters, so yep. I couldn't lay down.
0: Oh no, um, <laughs> you've, got
1: a, you've got a traveler's
0: dream of an empty plane yep. and you're stuck there.
1: Yeah, and they wouldn't let us move either, um, obviously because of the, yep. the COVID stuff. And they had all, yeah, they had all the other seats, they had their tray tables down, so you couldn't move. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I didn't sleep much. But I knew I had plenty of time to do that later on. Yeah, that's right. When you get into Sydney? Yep. So we... well,
0: Is it Defence Force? Um, it so,
1: first of all, it's like sort of as per normal um, until you get out of the airport. So, it was through all the health screening with the nurses and stuff first. Yep. Um, they check your temperature, ask if you've got any symptoms, how you're feeling, where you've come from, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Once you're assessed and go through there, then it's customs. Sort of as per normal, um, you collect your baggage and then yep. it's out through the uh, out through the special exit, and the federal police and the Australian Defence Force are there to round you up and put you on a bus and like take jail. you to your destiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was that was crazy. Like from going from the UK, where life was pretty much normal, mm. um, to coming back to Australia under like federal police control and the army like yeah, yeah it was pretty crazy
0: very un-australian like we, we yeah. we're a very free country like we are we're an incredible place yeah doesn't wouldn't feel like coming home like you're from rockhampton yeah <laughs> you know like this wouldn't feel like coming back to australia yeah it was definitely a bit of point. a shock yeah. so they take you to the
1: hotel are you socially distanced on a bus or yes it's all pretty, pretty so it's basically regulated. one one person per row on the bus mm. so there's only like 20 people on yep. the whole bus um Check-in. Like, Is it normal check-in or are you just ushered to a room? Yeah, so it was not really normal check-in. They had special desks with special staff, yep. um, taking all your details, like where you've been and who you are, where you live, what your plans are when you get out, all that sort of stuff. So um, when, when do you have
0: a COVID test? Do you have one at this point?
1: No, so a little bit later on, okay. on day two. Day two, yeah. Yep.
0: Um,
1: so, uh, yeah, then once once check-in's done, then the army escort you up to your room and shut the door behind you and that's it. Wow. Stuck in there for 14 days all by yourself. Can you hear anything in the hotel? Or was nah. it just dead silent? Nah. There was a couple of nights where I heard some motorbikes and stuff outside. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, oh, I want to get out. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's luck of the draw which yeah. hotel you end up at. Uh, mine was in central Sydney. I had a, a view, solid glass window, no balcony. Yeah. Um, the view was okay yeah. I would have loved to have a balcony and get some fresh air mm. uh, I think I don't know I think secure um, Sydney's under a bit more scrutiny than elsewhere because um, I've had some friends come back into Brisbane and they've got balconies mm. they can get fresh air they can go out for exercise like once a day uh, I had none of that yeah I had a solid glass window I think reception got sick of me asking if I can go for exercise yeah and uh, I was It was a no to everything. Um, I was stuck in that room 14 days by myself. um, Just trying to get through it the best I can. Man, that's nuts.
0: what did you do? You you did some fit. Yeah,
1: yeah, so I kept pretty busy. Yeah. Before I left the UK, I made a list of everything I wanted to get done. Very structured, aren't you? Yeah, so I wanted to be productive. Good. I didn't want to waste my two weeks. And I know I've got plenty of things to do and organize Um, for here in Australia and as well as next year. So yeah, I had a pretty big to-do list um, with things like new sponsorship proposals, um, talking to sponsors, organizing things for next year, um, as well as catching up on my own paperwork Mm -hmm. um, with with my own personal stuff. Um, Also made a few vlogs inside the room. Good Um, job too. Yeah, so that kept me busy and there's some cool videos on YouTube of what I got up to yep in that in that motel room um and then done like some physical challenges uh, with my training as well yep and there were little things like I did handstand push-ups um, different cardio workouts uh, interval training uh i one day I did I burnt a thousand calories did 500 reps in an hour and a half yep so that was just something I wanted to tick off see if I can burn a thousand calories in a room yep um, so I got that one done and Um, Yeah, just little things like that just to keep your mind busy and help pass the time and also maintain your fitness while you're in there because you don't have a choice.
0: No, you're you're stuck there. Yeah. Who are the people that helped you out in there? Because you got some some deliveries.
1: Yeah, so. Who are those people? Yep. So Bob uh, is a friend from Sydney, massive Pearl Pirates fan. Oh, really? Actually, from Pearl, yep. Yep. And his brother Dave uh, was the guy that picked me up from Manchester to bring me back after I dropped the van off. Oh, was it? Yep. Yeah, right. And their father, Brian, uh, he actually picked me up from where I was living and took me to the train station Yep, uh, before I got my car. Mm. So great family, great um, pool family. Yep. And, yeah, thankful for their help. So Bob got me some organic fruit. Yep. Um, he sent that in because the, fr- uh, the food was a bit hit and miss in the hotel. And another chap, also a pool Pirates fan, uh, Don he offered to get me some groceries um so we got a, like, a few staple foods in there and a few things that i'd missed like strawberries and um he got me a six pack of beer yeah uh, i can't believe yeah. it. i see your bag i'm like that's yeah. pretty damn cool and i didn't i didn't ask for that yeah um i just had a basic list of what i wanted yeah and yeah you got a few extra things um which was awesome
0: good to have that, oh, that mate, i think that yeah. probably helps
1: you mentally too yeah just, it's like a bonus just those little things um, that you don't expect and Yep. Yeah, a little, little treat to have.
0: So how does that come in? Do the army knock on your door or something? Or?
1: So it goes to, they have to drop it at reception. Yep. Uh, and then they check it. And there's actually a limit on how much alcohol you can bring in. Yeah, okay. Um, so the army check it and then they bring it up yep. and knock on your door and it's waiting outside. Man, this is so weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting experience. Um, probably one I would prefer not to do again if if I could avoid it. Of course, yep. Yeah. What what day did you get your shopping? Uh, it was pretty early on, so I think it was the second and third days. Yeah. Yeah, and that was enough in that sort of to, to lead me through in between the other meals. So it went three grand, is that right, for a comp? Yeah, $3,000 for Do you quarantine? pay that the day you get there? No, so you get issued an invoice when you leave. You? Yeah. Yeah. And then I think you've got 30 days to pay it. And is there
0: meals like... Uh, Is there a meal list? Is it like a hospital? (laughs) You just get what gets chucked
1: at the door. Yeah, you get what you're given. And Ah. obviously if you've got dietary requirements, um, you can put that down, but um, other than that, you get what you're given. So I was on the 15th floor and I was wondering why my food was getting near cold. That's because they start at the bottom floor. So by the time they deliver my food, (laughs) it's almost cold and I don't have a microwave. Yeah, so I got a kettle and that's about it so yeah a lot of the meals were delivered fairly cold yeah um some were good one of the last nights i got a meat pie um, and veggies yeah so that was pretty cool but (laughs) other than that like maybe a cold um egg and lettuce sandwich or yeah yeah, it's pretty pretty bland
0: is there some good nutrition as well or is like a meat
1: pie is not not for me mate like i eat pretty healthy and eat a lot of protein and chicken and meat and uh, eat pretty good, but that was a lot of bread and, and yeah. carbs and uh, not a whole having, lot.
0: Of, sorry, have people tied up for 14 days? You yeah. want to have good nutrition too. yep yeah.
1: and I I expressed that pretty heavily at the start. Yeah. I said, look, I'm a professional athlete. I need to exercise. I want to get fresh air. Yeah, I can't get vitamin D through the glass. No, like, what are you? How are you going to help me? Yeah, not interested in that. Mm. So. Yeah, that's why I just had to manage it the best I could. Um, it's quite funny, though, because the nurses, there's full-time staff at that hotel, like nurses, police, yeah. and the army, and those nurses would would check on you every day. Mm-hmm. On day two, you have a COVID test, and on day 10, you have your last COVID test. Uh, and if you're negative on that t- day 10 one, then you can leave on the 14th day. But the nurses would ring you every day, and and check on you ask you all the standard questions have you got any symptoms how you're feeling mm-hmm. ruh, ruh, ruh. but there doesn't seem to be any concern for the other part of your health like your your mental well-being your yep. your physical health um getting exposed to fresh air and vitamin d and mm. all the general things that you think is like you know general human cool. freedom yeah, yeah. um but I, hopefully, I've got out of there lucky with no no other health problems. So yeah, yeah. But I I would feel for other people that maybe aren't as positive or whatever as myself, and probably would struggle in that situation. You imagine it would be. You imagine somebody that
0: uh, as an athlete, you you you've got a good focus. Obviously, imagine if you didn't and you couldn't,
1: you you'd, it'd be very difficult. Yeah, it'd be hell. Yeah, I actually. I thought whether it's worse or better than going to jail. Mm. I think I think it's worse. Mm. Although it's only for the two weeks. You're alone. You're by yourself. Yeah. You can't get fresh air. Mm. You can't go outside, which you can in jail. Solitary confinement. Yep. Pretty much. Mm. Except you've got a TV. Mm. But um Yeah, it's it's tough.
0: So what have you ever watched? Have you watched anything?
1: Mate, I'm not. Are you a, a TV watcher? No. Nah. Apart from (laughs) Speedway. (laughs) So if it's got, yeah, like I said, if it's um, got two wheels and handlebars, I'll watch it. Yeah. But I honestly can't really get into movies and that sort of stuff. Obviously, I've got favorite movies, um, but they're sort of quite specific in what I like. So you should be able to tell me everything about the MotoGP on the weekend. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Formula One, (laughs) stuff like that. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah.
1: I I watch them live and then watch the replays. Oh, wow. Yeah. but. Yeah, kept busy with all my own personal stuff that I had to do on my laptop, uh, doing my vlogs, doing my training, uh, and then yeah, watching the the sport, obviously. Yep. Day so day ten
0: is the test. Yeah, second test. And so day ten, that's your last test. Yep. You get your results back probably two
1: days. Uh, It's the day twelve, some. Yeah, I think it's the next day or the day after. Just depends on how long it takes. Yep.
0: Yep. And what happens when you leave the hotel? Is it the same? So, is it the reverse of, the, of coming
1: in? No, nah, it's quite different. So, yeah, day 13, the nurses come back again, check your temperature, mm-hmm. uh, ask you what symptoms, if you've got any. Um, and they've also got a, a guy from the army with them. Mm-hmm. And they're basically filling out your final paperwork saying you're good to leave on the 14th day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they put a wristband on with your time that you're allowed to leave. And the army representative asks you how you're getting back home what flight you're on what your plans are and he gives you the information on what you need to do yep um, to get out of here um so yeah that was all good and then it was just yeah one day to go and then um on the last day i was told that my time was four o'clock and this is yesterday so yeah monday yep monday the 19th yep, yep. um but apparently everyone else was four o'clock as well oh no <laughs> so four o'clock rolls around and level 15 everyone opens their door and everyone's in the corridor waiting to go obviously we've all got face masks on and we're all kind of thinking oh this is a bit strange like wouldn't they let us go at different times yeah and then it was just madness like they had security there on the radio radioing down to the lobby can this room number leave is this room number right to leave so it was absolute chaos they've
0: been doing this for months yeah you think this would be down pat
1: i don't understand Mm. it's crazy um, so then it was, yeah, mad rush to get downstairs and get checked out, get our final paperwork down the lobby. And then for me, returning back to Queensland, I, have to, I had to book a taxi with a protective screen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that's part of my permit border permit requirements. Um, so I'd booked a taxi the day before and then for the time I get out and I'm in the lobby checking out and I see the taxi outside because it's a special company. And I see him drive off, and what's going on here? And I get outside and I thought, oh, maybe he's just going to go around the block and come back. And he doesn't come back, so I ring, I ring the company. Oh, they've already picked you up. I said, no, they haven't picked me up. They've obviously taken someone else. Mm. So I had to ring and book another taxi because it's a special service um, to get that cab with the screen. And they take you straight from the hotel to the airport.
0: And had you booked your flight for say a six o'clock or something like that? Yeah,
1: so mine was a seven o'clock flight. So I had a little bit of time, yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, But lucky it went fairly smooth, I suppose. And they take you straight to the airport. You have to take photos of yourself with the mask on, like outside your hotel, in the cab, the protective screen, getting to the airport, um, at the gate, on the plane, with your mask on. Yeah. Um, And that's part of what they require to get back into Queensland. So because I've just done the 14 days, I've got all my paperwork with me and I can provide that evidence that I went straight from the hotel to the airport, mm-hmm. uh, then they'll let me back into Queensland. Yep. And, and completely free.
0: Once you're in Queensland now, yep. you,
1: you can you can drive to Rock Ant. F- I'm a free man. For the first time in three months, and I've I'm got f- no stress.
0: And I've locked you in a room. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So unbelievable feeling um, yeah. walking out of that. Basically, once I got through border security last night, I yeah. uh, walked down to collect my bags. Like, it was freedom. What a and, feeling. Yeah, walk outside and smell the fresh air and the roses. And um, yeah, I went for a run this morning. Cool. Um, yeah, it's just great to be back out and soaking it up.
0: What was Sydney Airport like last night when you got there? Dead. Yeah, yeah just the yeah, same as it Same it's thing. Been.
1: Yeah. Obviously, I'm assuming there's reduced flights at the moment. Yeah. Um, and your flights that go across borders obviously have restrictions with who can travel and what the restrictions are so um, there was there was actually more people than I thought on our plane Um, but I think a lot of people were in the same situation me they just finished their quarantine and coming back home to Queensland Um, so when we arrived in Brisbane we had border control there and a long queue a long wait to get through all the paperwork and all that process yep um, but obviously there was other people that were either moving to Queensland or had other circumstances so those people then have to quarantine in Queensland yep um, so yeah quite interesting it's a
0: weird definitely a weird thing so what do you do now are you, are you driving up were you flying up
1: yeah so I've got another flight now back to Rockhampton yep this afternoon do you have to wear a mask or anything uh, I believe it's mandatory yeah 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 yep. which is fair enough I suppose Yep. but I have obviously I've done all the tests now I'm cleared and yeah you're I'm a free man yeah, yeah. so you- yeah for the first time in three months i'm free have no stress and yeah. back to normal life tonight and get to sleep in my own bed for the first time in nearly eight months yeah that's a huge thing yeah <laughs> what a year, mate yeah i don't think you could um i don't think you could predict it or nah. know what was going to happen i think i could probably write a book about everything that's happened um would i change anything probably not Mm. All my decisions were the best I could decide on at the time. Good judgment decisions. Um, yep. Yeah, got a lot of respect from people in the UK for sticking it out and, and not going home early. Uh, met a lot of great friends and uh, have some great sponsors on board. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's been a, been an interesting experience. I've learned a lot about myself and have a lot bigger appreciation for Australia and everything we take for granted here.
0: What you've probably got out of it is the relationships that you've built through that adversity, through the tough times. There, you've probably built better friendships than you would have just going there to race. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Which is long term, it's going to be better for you.
1: Yeah, I think so. Like all those relationships I have are all, all help me get through the year. And yeah. Um, yeah, I really think they're great friendships. And for anyone that did help me this year, there's a lot of people I haven't mentioned specifically, but they'll know who they are, and they've um, they've been a big part of it this year as well. So thanks to those guys.
0: Do you need to talk anything more about this
1: year now? No, you go for gold, mate. It's done. Yeah, it's off my chest, and um, getting home is a huge relief, and yeah. putting that one to bed is another relief, and we can now I can really focus on what's next for me. So Queensland titles coming up, uh, that's going to be a big one, and then we can start looking at twenty twenty one and cracking on with uh, where we should be. When, when are you going to ride? This weekend. Oh hey, uh, yeah. Yeah. At that gonna... private track. Yep. So cool. I'm going to put the engines in and, yeah, hopefully this weekend. Yeah, nice. That's, we've sort of forgotten about this. Like I haven't raced or rode that much this year. So I've really missed riding my bike. Was your last race at Albury? Yeah. Last oh. actual race was at Albury, wasn't it? Yeah, but I, d- I didn't finish it. No. And but that I was the last time you actually... And I did one heat at Curry Curry for round one, yeah. and that got washed out or cancelled due to the heat. Yeah. So my last race was December. I think it was the South Australians. Uh, sorry, it was the Phil Crump uh, Invitational at Mildura on the like the last weekend of December. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're cranking on, what, 10, ten, ten nearly months? 11 months since my last competitive actual, actual race, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I'm going to put down some laps in the practice and look forward to 14th of November and the 28th of November.
0: Mate, that's yeah, it's a long time.
1: It's a long time as, a, as an athlete
0: to, uh, to have to wait to choose your, your chosen sport to yeah. race it.
1: It is, but you also think of the Olympians that didn't get to do the Olympics this year. Mm. They wait four years. Yeah. So, yeah, there's always someone worse off, I think.
0: And now five, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe five. Who knows? Who yeah, knows? who
1: knows? What's the best thing about being a speedway racer? Oh, just riding an absolute animal of a bike and yeah. hanging off it, like, you can't describe that feeling when you go past someone or you win a race. Um, yeah, it's just such a buzz, like hanging off the side of this bike, no brakes, 70 horsepower, fueled by methanol. Like, It's just a buzz, and it's one that I've not got from any other type of motorbike. Camaraderie, uh, relationships, how is it compared to motocross? Mate, it's chalk and cheese. Really? Yeah, Speedway's such a supportive family. Yeah. Um, motocross, sort of everyone sticks to themselves and, oh, I don't talk to them, they're on the other team. or Why is that, you reckon? Is it because know. there's
0: more, I don't know, more chance
1: of, I don't know. What is it? I don't know. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. But it's it's the biggest thing I noticed when I switched. Yeah, right. Is, um, everyone's a lot more supportive in Speedway.
0: So you switched at 22. Yep. So you're at a time where you sort of can really proceed in a path of motocross and then... You know, Speedway. You're you're really uh,
1: you're better older older starter. Yeah, definitely. And it was a big risk uh, switching to Speedway because I had a great group of sponsors from motocross. Yep. And they've been with me for a long time. Had a got a lot of good industry sponsors. Yep. And yeah, when I decided to switch, it was like, oh, are you sure you want to do this? Like, that's a big big gamble. Um, who are,
0: who have been some of your long term ones?
1: Mainly local sponsors um, from Rockhampton. Yeah. Yeah. So local businesses, uh, all all motorsport um, sort of families. Yeah, cool. Um, So Rocky Industrial Controls, uh, Pentium Engineering, Piranha Insurance, Shanahan Swaffield Partners. Um, They're my my four main long-term ones. Um, Some of them have ticked over 10 years. Really? And I've got a few over – I think they're all over five years now. Yeah. And some are like seven or eight years, so – really proud to have them on board for so long and um they they really back me and and get what i'm about and um yeah it's really great to have their support both in rockhampton and in the uk
0: yeah it's a huge thing huge for them too yeah you know it's a two it's a two-way street those sort of relationships yep say uh, curry curry when it was 49 degrees how do you reset the week after how do you how do you look at it mentally and go You're going to be a lot tougher next year after what you've just gone through. But how do you you go back into that and go, geez, I had a good chance there. There's a lot on the table. Then you go to Aubrey and you get knocked out. Yeah. How how does a rider go through that?
1: Well, physically it was tough because it was so hot. Mm. Like we were all walking around with our boots off, wet towels all over us, trying to stay cool. Um, But I don't know. I think one of the most important things with Speedway is you've got to move on quick Mm. because you race you might race six nights a week. Yep. If you have a bad night, Monday night, you can't carry that into Tuesday. So you've just got to accept it, learn from it, take the positives, and, yeah, the next day is a, a new chance to go again.
0: Makes sense. Because, yeah, it's, it's just such a fast sport too. Yep. Not just the weekdays, the uh, the turnaround.
1: Yeah, well, even in the heats. You're up.
0: You're up. Yeah. In,
1: you've, got, yeah. you've got seven, five heats in a night, semifinal in yes. a final. Yep. Uh, if you have a crash or whatever, you... You've got to forget that and move on to the next race, get some more points and make your way through to the finals.
0: Like over that three hours, you've got seven minutes of racing. Yep. So, mate, that's quick turn, like quick turnarounds over those times. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's pretty full on.
1: When you compare it to other sports, they probably don't race at the elite level as often over mm. a year. And, for example, motocross, you only have two starts on yep. a Sunday. Speedway, you've got seven. Yep. So, yeah, you've got to be making the taking the starts and being at the top of your game every, every race because every race is worth three points. You're incredibly fit. How uh, physically,
0: how is it compared to motocross?
1: Different. Obviously, you're uh, not doing a 30-minute moto, yeah. getting banged around. But that one minute, yeah, that must be pretty exhausting still. Yeah. So it's high intensity, heart rate That's... through the roof. Um. What's your heart rate, do you know? Uh Yeah, I won't talk about that too much. It's It's probably not as high as you think really yeah yeah um because yeah, i think you hold your breath a fair bit
0: <laughs> see maverick vignali's on the week. you watch gp yeah. three or four times like he's incredibly settled yeah like you watch a lot of other riders it might be 175 185 yeah he's on the weekend with 135 to 140 yeah pretty much the whole time crazy it is yeah it's interesting yeah. Oh, i i love that stuff that's, yeah. that's me I'm, I'm a data person <laughs> yeah
1: uh, for me personally yep with injuries and stuff from motocross um like I both broke both my ankles, done a shoulder, um, had like a few niggling sprains and stuff yep. carrying through. And uh, with motocross, you don't really get a break from that. Like you're just constantly pounding, pounding your body and um, switching to Speedway, my body's actually recovered a lot and fit a lot healthier than it was mm. doing motocross. Uh, I think the risk is still pretty high in Speedway uh, when you do have a crash, but potentially not as not happening as often i think Mm. um so yeah my body's really really been thanking me the last five years um (laughs) been a lot a lot healthier a lot stronger uh no big breaks or crazy injuries touch wood um but yeah it's a a different way of training and a different way to prepare for speedway that's for sure
0: tell me a special day in racing life what's been for me personally yeah um even if you're on the on the sideline, what's well, been a special day in your racing life? Yeah, geez. Going to a press well, day with Jason Crump's pretty damn cool.
1: Yeah, that was cool. Mm. Uh, I'm going to say it would be the Handlebar Heroes in Rockhampton yep. 2019.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'd come runner-up the year before um, and really wanted to win it in 2019. Who was the runner-up to in 18? Uh, Ryan Douglas. Yeah, cool. Yeah. 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 So we, he'd come back from the UK and done a, a year back in Australia to reset and sort his visas out. And we basically went back and forward all year, one mm. and two, uh, between us. And I beat him in the heats. So I smoked him. Um, but he found something for the final. Yeah. And I didn't start off the, that well in the final. And Crumpy actually led because he can, he can gate. So he took off and then it was a battle between me and Dougie to get around him. I think one of us went inside. I think I went inside Crumpy, Dougie went outside like almost at the same time. And, yeah, I couldn't quite pull Dougie in, so he got the win on me then. And um, Yeah, it was my mission to win in 2019. Mm, and you did. Yeah, I did that in good fashion. I won seven out of seven. Um, not easily, though. I had to come from behind in a couple. And the final was an absolute belter of a race. You can watch that on YouTube as well. Uh, we went back and forward so many times and... The track was amazing that night. There wasn't one line that was fast. Mm-hmm. So when you watch that video, you'll see us cutting all different lines across this fourteen metre wide track. Um, so yeah, that was pretty cool. And to get him on the like one of the last laps and come across the line in first in front of your home home crowd and all your family sponsors and all that was was awesome. That would have been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a highlight so far. 18 was the year that all the Aussies had the visa issues. I think. Yeah, that's so right. it happens every now and then um, with the visa stuff. Yep. There's a few reasons behind that, but sometimes they'll have a cooling-off period where they have to stay in Australia for 12 months to to start again the year mm. after.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I think that was Ryan's one, 18, I think. is yeah. when he did that as well. Yep. Mate, well, thank you so much for coming in. No worries. Thanks for having me. It's been a good chat. It's been awesome. We've done a couple of hours, and... Uh, you can have some freedom. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be a good feeling. Go back to your family and, uh, yeah, I'll, I don't know. I might be able to get to Bowen, but I'm definitely coming to the Darcy event. That's, yeah. gonna be, um, that's gonna be awesome.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be good. And uh, if anyone else wants to come along to those two meetings, it's gonna be great. And yeah, I look forward to catching up to everyone.
0: Yeah, come out and support some live sport. And uh, it's something that people should do more of. And yeah, uh, you know, good family events.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Mick.